There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is all about helping people create more meaningful and purposeful lives and equipping leaders inside organizations to cultivate meaning and purpose that elicits passion, inspired contribution, innovation, and persevering performance. I talk with my guests to draw on their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. Each week in these conversations, I hope Hope you walk away with something you can immediately use in your life or work. And if I can do anything to help you along your journey, go to my website at elisecortez.com and use the contact me feature to message me. Let's open a conversation and explore what's going on for you and how I, how I might be able to help you. Whether you want to learn more about how to develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused culture in your organization, you want to see about joining a Catch Fire online inspiration, accountability, or mastermind community to nurture your own passion and purpose, or you'd like me to speak for your company or conference. At any rate, I'm glad we're connected and thanks for listening. Now, on to this week's program. With us today is Meredith Elliott Powell, who was voted one of the top 15 business growth experts to watch, top 41 motivational speakers, and top 50 sales speakers. She shares the business growth strategies you need to turn uncertainty to competitive advantage. She is the author of six books, including her latest, Own It, Redefining Responsibility, which uncovers what it takes to grow a business in a constantly shifting marketplace. Today, we'll be talking about the state of today's world and what it takes to do business in it, some old and new approaches to employee engagement, and the new frontier for individual employees to redefine personal responsibility to own their own path to success. Meredith, being the dynamic woman that she is, is actually on the road and joining us from deep Detroit Airport. So hanging with us, as you might hear some sounds coming from the airport. Airport, But Meredith, thank you so much for making this radio program happen, and welcome to Working on Purpose. Well, thank you. And luckily for me, uh, Detroit is about my favorite airport. So if I had to get stuck somewhere, this was a good one to be in. Absolutely. And you are such a dynamic professional and individual. You can swing anything. So we're just glad to have you. So thanks. Thanks. So so I picked you up, or we picked each other up, shall we say, at one of the conferences that we were speaking at. And when we first started talking about you coming on the radio, I remember distinctly in that opening conversation that we talked about how we both really wanted to address that August 19th, 2019 new imperative that the Business Roundtable set up by redefining the purpose of a corporation, which has become quite a bit controversial. And it was in the statement called, the Business Roundtable redefines the purpose of a corporation to promote an economy that serves all Americans. Uh, What was important about that, listeners, if you don't know about that, is that the statement really took it took the focus away from shareholder primacy to include commitment to all stakeholders. And so it was signed by 181 CEOs who commit to lead their companies for the benefit of all stakeholders, including customers, employees, suppliers, communities, and shareholders. And so there is so much going on in the world today in terms of business. So let's just kick off, Meredith, with what is your perspective on that new statement? Well, you know, I think it's interesting that you said, you know, there was so much controversy around it because I remember 
listening to it and then reading um, uh, about it. I actually saw it on the news first and then went um, online to read a little bit more about it. And as I went out and I talked to people about it, there was this combination of, oh, it's great, it's about time, that's really what corporate should, you know, CEOs should be about, combined with, um, wow, did they really do that as a business move or is that really, you know, do they really mean what they say? Let's see how many live up to it. And I kind of wrap all that together and ask, does it really matter? I mean, it's a, it's a great step. And if it's altruistic, wonderful. If it isn't, well, it's still a move that says that corporations get that if they don't give back to their communities, if they don't give back to their people, if they don't work on a bigger purpose, are they really going to be a sustainable industry? Mm-hmm. I love that. And and from my vantage point, Meredith, my first thought was, you know, I look at capitalism being such a great force in the world. And I really think we can do so much better than just simply serving only the shareholders. Um, so I, I, to me, I thought, yes, we can do more. We can do much more than this. And so I saw it as unleashing more of the potential of uh, human beings as well as businesses to serve a much greater need that is well beyond time. And I think it's, I think that it is smart business. I mean, really, if I, I don't know um, about you, but as I work with, as I, as I experience or work with companies right now that are very, very shareholder focused or solely shareholder focused, they're, they're dealing with some challenging times. They're struggling to find talent. They're struggling to keep talent. They're struggling to make customers happy. So smart business in this day and age is to have a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Lovely. I love that. In fact, of course, for this first segment, I really wanted to presence for our listeners what's just going on in today's business world. And and I know that when you're out speaking and consulting, you talk a lot about how we're living today in a business climate that's just so ripe with unpredictability and constant flux. Say more about that. Well, you know, I think that we are living in a time when it's the first time ever since I have been alive and I have been working that more that can impact the success of your business is outside of your business. I mean, think about this. Kind of when I was growing up, I'm old enough, I'll kind of age myself here, but competition meant the guy down the street. I mean, we had two banks, we had two department stores in our town, kind of one grocery store. And ordering online meant the Sears catalog and you waited three or four months for it to happen and nobody really ordered. You know, nobody, it wasn't commonplace. And now we just live in a time where if something, I mean, if something happens in China, it can impact your local business. I was looking at, you know, all the things that are happening with, um, you know, with these, with these tariffs and what they're talking about within the GM strike. And they're talking about the fact that it's bigger than the GM strike. It's all the businesses internationally that supply or, or or are dependent upon GM workers. We're just so connected in it now that if the economy changes, if gas gas prices change, if a new administration comes in, if if consumers decide that plastic isn't isn't cool, then if you're in the plastic business, guess what? You're in trouble. There's so much that you don't have control over that it is it is very we are living very much in an age of uncertainty far behind the far beyond the uncertainty of the economy Mm-hmm. And I think what you're getting to, I really love this this notion that you put in your book here. You, you talk about that we're in a pull economy, no longer a push one, where technology and international marketplace has made our products and services a commodity. Is that really what you're getting to? Is this, is this the, the area or topic that you're presencing just now? 
Yeah, it's the fact that, you know, in fact, I was, I was speaking about this today, that, um, that, you know, we are not living in a world where, I mean, think about this, the sales cycle starts long before we get into it. I mean, the moment that, you know, um, somebody decides that they, you know, they need insurance services, the first thing they do is they go Google online. Then they go to a party or they go to a meeting and they ask other people who they're using. So in today's marketplace, you've definitely got to attract business before you ask for business. You've got to get into that sales cycle by building your reputation, increasing your visibility, and doing things that are buzzworthy, uh, which is very much what I think those CEOs were doing, um, you know, with their decision to say it's bigger than just shareholders. Yes, and I think also what you're presencing, at least this is the, the lens that I'm hearing it through, is just the importance of, you know, a trustworthy relationship in any business yeah. that we do today. Yes? Yes, absolutely. Trust is everything. I mean, when you think about it, there's no product that you sell that your competitor can't sell, won't sell, or couldn't sell. So it is not the product that is differentiating you. I mean, you can you can make yourself crazy trying to tell customers on how, you know, what an amazing speaker you are, what unbelievable consulting services you do. But at the end of the day, in all this high-tech work world, we are back to the old-fashioned stuff. And it is how well do you connect with people? How well do you listen to them? How well do they do you get them to believe in you so that they build trust? And if they build trust, boy, anything is possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and to that end, one of the other messages that you talk about in your book, Meredith, that I think is just so powerful, and it ought to be very sobering for anybody who either owns a business, runs a business, or leads, or is a key leader in a business, is that you talk about how clients and employees are now more in the driver's seat than ever before. Say more about that. Well, um, you know, think about this. Um, I mean, for a number of reasons. But you, you are hard-pressed to talk to any leader CEO today that doesn't tell you one of their number one issues is talent, finding talent, keeping um, talent, engaging um, talent. And so in order for, you know, back in the day, again, when I was growing up, I mean, you didn't worry about holding on to a customer long term and you were competing on product. So, you know, even if I had bad service at a store, I still would go back to that store because it was the only place I had an option to buy something. Well, now our success is 100% dependent upon how much our employees care. I mean, I may have an unbelievable interaction with you, but then your assistant is just lackadaisical to me, just not that interested. Well, in that moment, I think if there's 1,500 people, other people I could buy the same product from, I'm out the door. So our success is based on our reputation and the customer experience, and that is completely tied to the employee. So good employees are hard to come by, and they know they are in the driver's seat. And you know, Meredith, you and I chatted about this briefly when we first met. So much of what I'm up to personally in the world is I believe in the world of work. I think work is a beautiful, noble, important part of our lives. And for many people, about 85% of them, according to Gallup, it sucks. And (laughs) I'm really out to try to help organizations change that because, one, it helps them stay in business. It helps them much more robustly compete. And, and two, it greatly and vastly improves the quality of, of their employees' lives, which Cassie to their communities, their families, everybody. And so, so much of what I'm up to and why I wanted to have you on the show is because I stand to help making that the experience of what it is to be an employee so much better. 
You know, I think that is, I think that's such important work. You know, I have a theory about why work um, sucks. <laughs> and it's not based in, it's not based in any scientific research, but I know that I'm right about it. And, um, and that is the fact that when 2008 happened and, you know, we should probably have a moment of silence for 2008, but what 2008 happened was, um, you know, we had a lot of people ready to retire and they didn't retire because 2008 happened. And, and then they came back into business and anybody who owned a business at that point was just holding on with everything they've got, AKA, they became micromanagers, drill sergeants. And employees were just trying to keep their heads down, not try, just trying not to get fired, not to be the one that got laid off. And, and work just went into this survival mode. And here we are 10, 11 years past it, and we can come out of it, but we're caught in a grind. And the grind is that people are trying to control the outcomes. Leaders are trying to control. And then employees, that causes them just not to give in and engage at the level that would make them happy, that would make them feel purposeful, that would make them feel like work is someplace where they're doing work that matters and they're making a difference. You know, what's so great about Edith's presence there, Meredith, and it's just so incredibly timely, as it turns out, because what you're speaking to from my lens is something that Aaron Hurst speaks to in the book he wrote called The Purpose Economy. Um, And he talks about how the whole notion of purpose and the hunger for purpose was, in fact, launched in that magical time, that year, 2008, um, when the rest of the world came crumbling down and you couldn't count on what you had worked for and having a a stable job, etc. So we went then and we turned more toward things that were based in meaning and purpose. And I say it's timely because today is uh, October 15th. I will be going to his second annual Purpose Conference in New York City on Thursday, the 17th and 18th, and convening with people from all over the world who are who care about helping organizations presence and create environments of purpose and meaning. So talk about, you know, a kismet conversation. You know, I think that um, purpose is, I, to me, purpose is the, found, it's the foundation of engagement. Um, you know, there's, there's no incentive you can give. There's no bonus you can give. There's no flex days you can give. There's nothing. All of that for employees is icing on the cake. Um, you have to lay a foundation of purpose. I mean, people want to feel like they're making a difference, like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. And you have only to look at the employee engagement statistics to know that. I mean, you know, the highest rated um, engaged employees work for nonprofits. They're some of the lowest paid with some of the worst benefits. And time after time, when you read employee engagement surveys, government workers rank as the lowest. And there's a guaranteed job with a great set of benefits, but it lacks a feeling like you're you're part of a team and you're part of something bigger. No question. And with that, because we're going to talk about about engagement after the break, let's grab our first break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Meredith Elliott Powell, a business growth expert and global keynote speaker. She joins us today from Detroit Airport, where she's en route to try to get back home. We've been talking about the state of today's business world and what it takes to do business in it. After the break, we're going to talk about and contrast some old and new ways and approaches to employee engagement. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Meredith Elliott Powell, who is voted one of the top 15 business growth experts to watch, top 41 motivational speakers, and top 50 sales speakers. She shares the business growth strategies you need to turn uncertainty to competitive advantage and is the author of six books, including her latest, Own It, Redefining Responsibility, which uncovers what it takes to grow a business in a constantly shifting marketplace. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So for this next segment, Meredith, I really want to talk about and compare and contrast some old and new approaches to employee engagement. Um, And the first thing that I thought was pretty darn interesting that you talk about in your book is that you advocate for each company to create its own definition of employee engagement. So before we kind of talk about that point in and of itself, how do you generally define and describe employee engagement? Well, I, I I usually describe it as an emotional connection to the company's success and um, the company's goals. I mean, are you emotionally connected? Are you vested? Are you all in? And um, and that's that's really how um, how I describe it, especially when I speak about it from the stage. An emotional connection means that I believe in you, I trust you, and I'm and I'm I'm ready to follow you. Mm-hmm. I can I align with that as well. Now let's take the point here. I think it's fascinating, and I, I don't know that I've actually heard someone advocate for this, but that that you you encourage companies to, to create their own definition of employee engagement. Why? Because you are because you know here's the problem. You have twelve execs in a room. And they say, we've got to engage employees. And then the only employees we're going to promote are going to be, are going to be the ones who are engaged. Well, your definition of enga- what engagement looks like and my definition of what engagement looks like may be totally different. I mean, one of my favorite exercises to do with execs is to sit down and have them rank their A, B, C, and D employees. And, and, and have them do it across the company. And somebody who is an A employee in, in one person's department is not an A employee in, in another person's point of view. So if you want to communicate to your team that they need to become engaged, you need to define as a team what engagement looks like. So it's taking that definition of emotional engagement a little bit further. I mean, does it mean that it's people that, um, you know, they come to work early and they leave late? Or is it people that, you know, are you looking for people to show up at every employee um, party? You know, they're the people that, you know, make sure that we have birthday month. I mean, I don't know what your definition of, but you need to get clear and you make, need to make sure as an, as an executive team, you agree on that. I think that is a stellar point, Meredith. I love that. Completely agree with that. 
Um, okay, well, now I want to present some what I would consider to be dire numbers, especially with employee engagement, or better said, lack thereof. And these numbers came from your book, which, are, which was, of course, published in 2016, so i got to believe they're even higher today. But let's just get them out there for our listeners. Um, here's the first number, $450 billion. That's the number Gallup says is costing U.S. employers per year in disengagement. Wow. Second number, $700 million. That's the amount U.S. companies spend annually to face and solve the problem, which is expected to go to $1.5 billion in the next few years. And the last number I want to share for now is 70%, which is the number of employees who report being checked out. Meredith, what do you think? This is pretty a dire state of, of, of affairs here. You know, um, it could be a dire state of affairs or um, the optimist in me says, hey, is there opportunity here? If those are the numbers that Gallup is estimating, um, you know, that, that, you know, are the average companies, that's what we're suffering in losses, that's what it's costing us, that's, you know, the level of disengagement. I think it is probably very true, but at the same time, does that motivate you? Does that inspire you? to be the, um, you know, to be the organization that engages people. But, you know, I, I think that it's more important to understand why those numbers are where they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I really appreciate that. I, too, am an optimist, and I, I look at this, this, this. Uh, well, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now, right, if I, if I weren't an optimist. <laughs> I didn't think we could address this, right? Otherwise, I'd, I'd have to be insane, right? There's no other, be no other explanation for it. Uh, so I, too, am an optimist about this, and, of course, I do believe in the power of people to learn, to grow, to transform, and for businesses to change the way that they work with, hire, engage, motivate, and develop people. So I'm completely, completely with you. Well, you know, here's the thing is, is, you know, when so many executives and leaders, when, when we all were growing up, the world we grew up in is that we graduated from high school, graduated from college, got a job, and we believed as long as we wanted to work there that that job would be there. And then we believed if we worked hard, we might get promoted. And if we just didn't cause too much trouble, we could probably retire there and probably um, get a pension. No employee, no matter their age, believes that anymore. And as leaders, I think those numbers reflect the fact that we've taken guarantee off the table. And with guarantee off the table, employees are thinking downsizing, outsourcing, merger, acquisition. Why should I give this company my all when they're just going to cut their knees out from under me? And whether that's true or not, as a leader, you've got to recognize that and say, okay, I've removed guarantee. I can't promise anybody they'll retire my company. What am I going to put back in its place? And then that begins with purpose. Mm-hmm. Well, and to that end, one of the other things that I've really, really liked and certainly endorsed about what you say in your book, Meredith, is that you say that it, when it comes to engagement efforts, that we need to move away from an HR function handling the employee engagement and put it in the CEO's imperative. And that, and then you yeah. go on to compare and contrast, you know, some old approaches to employee engagement with, you know, that include the generic automated surveys um, to some of the other, other approaches that you recommend. So let's get into that a little bit here. First, talk a little bit about this notion of, of taking employee engagement off the HR plate and putting it on the CEO's desk? Well, you know, I, I, I so love that you asked me that because it's, so I'm working on a new book now that's coming out in, um, in January and it's basically an update to, um, to 
book I wrote called um, Winning in the Trusted Value Economy. And that book is um, Thrive, what are, um, and it's based on leaders and organizations that have seen record consistent growth since 2008. They have not had a blip, not had a problem, seen 20, 30, and 40% growth. And one of the most interesting things, while everybody has a different strategy, everybody has a different approach, the one thing every CEO has in common that I have interviewed is one of their two or three jobs, and all have no more than two or three jobs when I ask them, is the engagement, happiness level, and leadership development of their employees. They are not outsourcing it to anybody else. And I think that's really important because number one is, you know, we used to think that a company was nowhere without sales and customers. Still true, you gotta have sales and customers to have a company. But in today's, in today's um, economy, you have to have great employees. They're your greatest competitive advantage. And really forward-thinking, innovative CEOs have said, if this is the most important asset in my company, I am not going to outsource that to another department. That needs to be on my plate. It needs to be my responsibility. And it needs to be something that I'm held accountable for. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's so fresh. And I completely, again, am aligned with this. And then to that end, you talk in your book about a couple of just very simple, newer approaches to assessing and, and managing employee engagement that I thought were pretty fresh. Um, let me just start with one, and if you want to add whatever else. But I love the notion of choosing 5 to 10% of, of an employee base for focus groups, really engaging them in conversation about what it's like to work there, what's good, what doesn't work, what do they think we should do about it. I thought that was brilliant. So simple you know, and brilliant. It's so um, it's so simple. I was doing a um, I was getting ready to do a strategic plan for a company uh, maybe about a year ago, and I sat down with the um, CEO and I said I want to do a focus group with your um, with you know some of your team before we start. And he said you don't need to do that. That's you know it's fine. I've got some surveys I can share with you. I said well this is a deal breaker for me. If I can't do that piece, I I don't I'm I'm not interested. He thought about it a little bit and he let me do it. And what you find out through conversation is so much more powerful than what you find out from a survey for a number of reasons. It is, um, it is body language. It is tone of voice. It is you can read something in somebody's eyes and have the ability to go um, a little bit deeper. And you have the ability to establish rapport and trust so that people will open up with you and tell you more. And I just did another one for a company that has unbelievable engagement scores. But when we did the focus groups, I'm talking to a group of people who love their company. They're excited. They're all into it. But they had ideas on how to improve it. And I don't know that you really capture that in surveys. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And then the other piece that you mentioned that I thought was really pretty powerful and kind of turn, turns the old approach to employee engagement on its head is then once you do get the, the data back from what the employees tell you, that you get the employees to weigh in on the interpretation of those yeah. results. Wow, what a concept. Yeah, you know, you've got to, um, you know, I always tell people when I do surveys and focus groups for them, I always say part of this is, the information we're going to get. And the part of it is marketing, communication, and PR is because we're sending a very loud message that says, hey, I'm interested in your opinion. And then when I get that information, I'm going to go back to you and I'm going to say thank you for your opinion. And I'm going to tell you what I learned. And then I'm going to ask you, based on what I learned, is this, is this the right direction 
to, to focus on. And the power of that is now all of a sudden people are like, wow, they really care about my voice. The other is they own those ideas. And if they own those ideas, they'll implement those ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I completely see that. And I've, I've done a lot of work around investigating meaning and motivation uh, and identity, which is not related to this. But I, I completely understand the importance of when somebody owns an idea, how much more willing they are to, to, to champion it. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, absolutely. Well, and then speaking of that, another thing that you talk about in your book that I think is quite important, and we're going to talk more about it in the next segment, but you also talk about that the current beliefs about personal responsibility and entitlement are at the root of what is wrong with employee engagement programs today and yeah. why they fail. Would you say more about that? Yeah, yeah so um, I, wrote a, I wrote an article um, uh, a while ago that, that got a lot of traction. And, um, and the article was about the fact that when I started really looking at employee engagement programs, quite frankly, they looked more like going to a spa or a vacation. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, what, what companies were rolling out to try to get employees to engage or to recruit them and stuff. And it was just like, it just was so over the top. And it was, it was missing the basic things at, um, you know, the basic things at the bottom. Um, those, those purpose, that ownership, that people feeling valued and important and feeling like they have, to, have a career. But I think we went off the chart and we forgot the most important part of employee engagement and that is that we cannot engage employees. We can create a culture and invite people to engage. But the back half of the book, what I wrote about was the fact that it's your life, it's your career. What are you doing waiting for somebody else to engage you? step to the plate and take ownership of it so employees have a role and a responsibility in it Yes, absolutely, and that's the, that's how we're gonna we're gonna finish this conversation today. But the last thing I want to say about, or I want to get to, I should say, around employee engagement that I think that is so important that you talk about is, and back to back to this notion of forget all these great spa programs. What in the world is the yeah. company in existence for? Um, and so yeah. you talk about you know the importance of that's the purpose piece of leaders who make a point of clarifying what it is that the organization actually does and why do they do that, and then communicating what that what they stand to and for to their employees and their customers and then iterate the importance of what the employees are doing that matter to, to fulfill on that, that's much more engaging. Much more. I mean, it is, you know, uh, we're not, human beings are not complicated. And I think as leaders, one of the most important questions we can under, we can communicate is why. Why are we doing this? People understand the why. They start to understand the purpose and they start to, you know, they start to engage. And you can't communicate enough as a leader. I mean, people want you to be transparent. They want you to be open. They want to know what's going well with the company. They want to know where the challenges are. And then they want to help you fix the problem. You can give them a spa treatment, but if you don't have those things underneath it, none of those spa treatments and great vacations are going to work. Completely agree. And also, too, right, the importance of ongoing communication, constantly presencing. Why do we do what we do? Why does it matter? Why do you matter? Right. This isn't a one time once a year session where we bring everybody together and we just do a big you know, celebration. This is something we live every day. Absolutely. You know, you know, go back to the interviews I'm doing for my new book. And, you'll see, and, I, and I said that the CEOs have two, three jobs max, no more than that. And the reason is because communicating, connecting and engaging employees is really a full time job. And you have to be out there talking to people. You have to start meetings the same way and meetings the same way. I mean, you can't 
you can't beat it enough. It needs to get to a point where you walk back in a year later and everybody can, everybody can recite um, the things that, that the leader has been saying. Mm-hmm. And who doesn't want to live in that space of, wow, you know, we matter, I matter. Who doesn't want to, you know, hear that yeah. on a regular basis, right? Everybody, everybody does. And I think one of the biggest things people make the mistake of is do not confuse the fact that an employee has been there 35 years with the fact that that employee is engaged. I don't care how old you are. You want to feel like you like you matter and you want to feel like your voice is heard. Mm-hmm. And that's the beautiful thing about being a human being. We've got this beautiful full complement yep. of logic, rationale, and beautiful emotions and, and work auto appeal to all of them. Yes, absolutely, and it's um, and you know, I, I know there's so much work on the generations, but I think at the end of the day, people are people, and you know, the leaders to me that are successful are understanding and appealing um, to those things, and they're asking, they're they're setting a very clear direction and saying, I've got this, I know where we're headed, I know where we're going, but they're balancing that by that with saying, I want to hear from you, I need your help to get there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And with that, let's grab our last break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Meredith Elliott Powell, a business growth expert and global keynote speaker. She joins us today from the Detroit airport en route trying to get back home. We've been talking about um, the old and new forms of employee engagement programs. After the break, we're going to talk about the new frontier for individual employees and how they can redefine personal responsibility and owning their own path towards success. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Meredith Elliott Powell, who is voted one of the top 15 business growth experts to watch, top 41 motivational speakers, and top 50 sales speakers. She shares the business growth strategies you need to turn uncertainty to competitive advantage and is the author of six books, including her latest, Own It, Redefining Responsibility, which uncovers what it takes to grow a business in a constantly shifting marketplace. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So for this last segment here, Meredith, I really want to talk about the employee, the individual employee, and really celebrate and and position presence and, and empower them, essentially. And one of the things that you say in your book that I think is incredibly compelling is that you want to redefine responsibility and to bring it back to the workplace. And you say you want to transform the concept of personal transformation from an association with feeling burdened and overwhelmed to a concept that implies taking control of your life and experiencing a greater overall level of freedom, passion, and power. I love that. <laughs> you know, when I first uh, when I first told my um, publisher I wanted to put responsibility in the title, um, 
he said, you can't write a book on responsibility. Nobody will want to buy it. Nobody wants to be responsible. And I said, that's the point, is that we have made responsibility an ugly word. And, and, and so the, the kind of the backstory on that was I am obsessed with self-made people, people who um, came from absolutely nothing and achieved whatever level of success they set out to achieve, you know, people who had all the odds stacked against them. And as I interviewed and talked um, with people like that, again, while they had different stories and stuff, the one thing that it came down to was there was never anybody to bail them out. They always had to take responsibility for every obstacle they had to get around. Um, one, of the, one of the women that I interviewed said, she said, I've flown my whole life without a net. And I thought that was such a beautiful visual. And she said, if I fell, if I got hurt, I had to dust myself off and I had to get myself up. And I just thought responsibility, um, struggle, those things are a necessary part of life and success. And without them, we can't ever really achieve the level that we want to achieve. So responsibility is not a burden. The moment you take responsibility, it's your ultimate path to freedom. Mm. And what I, of course, love about that, Meredith, is that it's so empowering, it's encouraging, it's inspiring, and it and it does. It takes away this notion that corporate America has to give employees yeah. an engaged experience and puts them back in the driver's seat. And I think that is so compelling. I'm right there with you, Meredith. I, but I appreciate the way you presenced and, and say that. I don't know that I've heard it spoken so crisply before. Well, you know, the thing is, is that there's nothing more fun than going to the water cooler and complaining about what a jerk your boss is and how this company, you can't believe they lowered your insurance benefits and we only got a 3% raise this year. I mean, I'm right there with you. I'll grab, I'll, I'll grab the cup of the water cooler and I'd love to sit around for an hour and wine. It's fun. The problem is at the end of that hour, you're still in the exact same spot. The problem with being a victim is it's the end of your story. It's all you're ever going to be. And so when you take responsibility for the fact that, you know, if you haven't gotten the raise you want, if you don't have the insurance benefits, if you don't like your boss, what are you going to do about it? What can you do to either survive it, make the best of it, or what can you do to change it? That's the path out. And that's why responsibility is so important. And it's, it's such a definer. So if you're in a company and that engages employees, yeah, you. But if you're like most of the, you know, most employees and you don't, if you decide to engage yourself, if you decide to go all in, you're going to be the one who's going to wind up in the next five, ten years with unbelievable opportunity. Mm-hmm. And you contrast that in the book beautifully when you talk about and you say, you know, people, employee, individual employees operate so much today from fear. They're afraid of yeah. being able to find a job, keep a job, not being successful, getting laid off. And and you say so beautifully in your book, Meredith, and you talk about, well, if you would just take all of that energy that you, that you put into being afraid and concerned and put it into engaging yourself fully in your work and becoming the employee the company wants to keep, strives to keep, you're back in the driver's seat. I think we lost you there. So we, I was talking about yeah, how... Yeah, oh, I'm back. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry about that. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, yeah, talking about becoming that employee that, that people strive to keep, correct? Yes. Yeah. And instead yeah. of instead of falling, you know, back to the word victim, falling victim to being owned and run by their fears about losing their job, you know, being laid off, et cetera, if we could just take all of that energy and effort and pour it into being an engaged employee, bringing value and being the person that a company strives to keep. 
Absolutely, because, you know, you are, talk about uncertainty. We are living in a world where you have absolutely no control over whether your company is going to be healthy long-term, whether they're going to be bought, whether you're going to be um, acquired. So if you follow the strategies to put yourself in the driver's seat of your career, if your company goes a direction that you want to go, great then you'll be there, you'll be the employee they want. But if they take a turn that you're not interested in, you're so dynamic and so incredible, you're going to have another job in half a second. You're going to be in control of your career. One of the biggest points I've gotten at is that, you know, build your network, change your life. And one of the saddest things I see people do is that they, once they have a job and they lock into it, they quit connecting and they quit networking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and the problem with that is, is that then the world changes. And if you need somebody to help you and you're already, you haven't contacted them in three years, then, um, you know, then, then it's too late. So you've got to, you've got to be in charge and doing those steps that the company owes you nothing. Just take that, just take that phrase. But you also, you don't, you're not sold to the company for the rest of your life either. Mm. And you're in, you're the person who is, as long as the company's giving you what you want, you're all in. But if it isn't, you get to make another decision. You get to go somewhere else. You're in charge of your career. Well, and just listen to, you know, the way you're describing that. You say in your book several different benefits that comes with engaging yourself at work. Um, and one of them automatically is you talked about building relationships and, and get, developing the peer support. What are some of the other benefits we get from really engaging ourselves like this at work? Well, number one is you're going to be in a constant learning, growth, and um, and development mode. I remember um, I remember years ago when I waited tables and um, and I was learning to run the cash register. And I remember one of the other waitresses saying to me, "Don't don't learn to run the cash register. Then they'll ask you to do it." And I thought, what a sad what a sad answer that is. So I learned to run the cash register. I learned to wash the dishes. I learned to be the hostess. I learned how to do all that stuff. And so. And later, I went to interview at a really high-end restaurant where the tips were much better than where we were working. And when I sat down for the interview, and they said, you know, tell us what you can do. And I said, well, I'm a great waitress. I can do this. But I've also learned to do all those other things. So you're in this, you're in this learning and development, which A, makes it much more interesting, but B, makes you more valuable. The more skills you have, the more initiative you show. The other is it. Builds, builds your confidence. If I know I'm engaged and I'm giving you everything I've got, then when they're talking about layoffs and stuff, I'm not worried about it. I'm not as worried about it for two reasons. Number one is I'm a great employee. They're probably not going to let me go. The other is if they do, I've got options. So there's so much in it for you to engage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When it goes back, I love, I really, really, really like the whole undergird of your of your book about bringing that personal responsibility back to the individual employee element, uh, because it is, it's empowering. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's very empowering. I mean, you know, especially in the age of uncertainty, there, there are, there's so much you can't control, but there's a lot that you can. And that's what you want to do is put yourself in the driver's seat to control the things that you can control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one you can control is what you do in your career and how far you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the many things that I wanted to be sure we talked about on, on this program, Meredith, because I'm, I'm very much aligned with that. And because I stand to empower individuals, leaders, and organizations across the globe, it starts on the individual level. It has to. Yes, it, it does. And the leaders are out there really kind of banging their head against the wall trying to get, um, you know, trying to get employees to gauge. But it's a two-way street. Employees have to step to the plate, um, 
you know, I have to set the play too. If you're not getting what you need to be successful, then raise your hand, ask for it. If there's mm. things you want to learn, things you want to do, raise your hand, ask for it, find your voice, and it will change your life. Well, and speaking of that, I'm coaching a, an executive woman right now, and she was talking about how she gets these stellar performance reviews. And I said, well, don't you get anything in there that says what they would encourage you to work on or take on next? She goes, no, they always just say, keep doing what you're doing. I said, that is a cop-out. You need to ask them yeah. for specific feedback that tells you what specifically am I doing well and ask for feedback and direction on how you're going to grow. Um, completely agree with that statement. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I always, I always, uh, when I'm working with younger leaders, I always say, if you get one good boss in your lifetime, you're you're fortunate, you're more fortunate than other people, and and it's going to be rare that you're not going to need to manage the person that mm-hmm. um, that you're reporting to. Absolutely. And so in a perfect world, you know, bosses would be concerned about our careers and our futures, but the world isn't perfect. So accept it, step up, and do what you need to do to get where you need to get to. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of leaders, one of the things you talk about is the importance of developing into a transformational leader and involving and inviting employees in the engagement program itself. Um, We're starting to run out of time, so can you just speak briefly to that? Yeah, it's it's going from, um, in essence, what transformational leadership is leading through the power of the question. As a leader, you get to decide what the company goals are, where the company is headed. But the question of how belongs to your team, because when you ask people how, you transform them by giving them voice, ownership, and responsibility. People support what they help create. Mm-hmm. As we said before, yes. Um, well, this is, you know, Meredith, what's so great about talking with you. One, you have just, you just have a, 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 a just an earth load of, of information and experience to draw from. But two, you're so crisp and it's easy to get a lot of information out of you quickly. So, you know, this show is heard by listeners across the globe and it really is designed to help individuals and leaders uh, more meaningfully and purposely connect with their work. Given that, what would you like to leave our listeners with today? Um, you know, the biggest thing that I'd like to leave listeners with is that understand the greatest competitive advantage you have in today's marketplace is the engagement level of your employees. And the CEOs and the leaders who understand that, who prioritize that, are going to be the ones who win. There's so little you have control over in, um, in this world, but every problem you have, every issue can be solved by just having the best employees. Mm. Yes, uh, wonderful, wonderful way to finish. And and again, Meredith, I want to thank you for one, you know, making this conversation happen. Given your extremely busy life, I know how many trains, planes, and automobiles that you navigate in 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 a year to get to where you need to go. And you were expecting to do this conversation from the comfort of your home, and ended up um, on the road, stuck in Detroit. And we can hear some of the noise that comes with that. And I just want to thank you for for making it happen. I appreciate it immensely, and so do our listeners. Well, I, I loved um, I loved being on the show, loved the conversation, and uh, I really look forward to uh, having more of them. Excellent. Yes, you can run from me, but you cannot hide from me. <laughs> so, listeners, if you want to learn more about Meredith Illick Powell, visit her website. It is just her name, but it's spelled a little bit differently. So, MeredithElliottPowell.com. So, it's M-E-R-I-D-I-T-H-E-L-L-I-O-T-T. P-O-W-E-L-L, MeredithElliottPowell.com. 
Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on here with Jenna Cooper Heller of United Against Human Trafficking. She helped us understand the sheer size of this global problem and the hugely important work she and her colleagues are doing to realize their vision that one day in the not-so-distant future, no human being will ever be for sale or purchased. Incredibly inspiring conversation. Next week, we'll be on the air with author Rachel Stewart talking about her book, Unqualified Success, Bridging the Gap Between Where You Are Now and Where You Want to Be to Achieve Massive Success. See you there. Remember that work is one-third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.